church, it's so good to worship with you. Happy Palm Sunday. This is the day of Christ's first triumphal entry. The first moment in uh, the, the book of the Bible tells us that Jesus walks in as a king. He enters the scene as a king. He's, he's okay with people finding out that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords because he knows that this is going to lead to his ultimate death and then resurrection. But he comes in in the most unusual way, on a donkey, right? As a sign of peace, that he's ushering in this ultimate peace that people weren't expecting. And so, just wanna say to you today, he is this king of glory for us today. He has done all that he had to do for us to experience life eternal with him, for us to be made right in his eyes. And so, my prayer today is that if you haven't yet experience that salvation, that today might be that day, that God's Holy Spirit would move in and through this time together, that you would see who he is more clearly and respond to him. Well, I just wanna welcome you to First Baptist New Orleans. If you are a guest today, we're so honored that you're with us. My name is Nate, I'm the worship pastor here at FBNO, and uh, we're gonna continue to worship together today. Our youth pastor, Noah, and uh, Jack Hunter will be coming up in just a minute. Um, let me voice just a quick prayer over our worship together today. Father, we worship you in light of who you are and what you've done. God, you do extraordinary things in the most extraordinary way. And God, as, as often as we uh, place our hands on things and, and mess them up, God, you continually redeem uh, that which was lost for your purposes, for your glory that your name would continue to be made known among the nations. So God, I pray that today, as we worship you, that we would see you, that we would respond to you, that each of us would identify next steps that we would take in our faith journey with you, and maybe for some, the very first step of placing our faith and our trust in you as Savior. God, have your way in us today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Church, good morning. It's good to be with you, to be worshiping the Lord together. Just real quick, if you're a guest this morning, thank you for being with us, for worshiping on this Palm Sunday. We'd love to connect with you, and there's really two ways to do that, where you can get in touch with the pastor this week. There's a card, a connect card in front of you. You can fill that out, or there's a number on the screen. Just text new to that number, uh, and we can get in touch. There's also a class. It's a great day to be here. It's a class right after the worship service, down through this door, down the hallway, called Get to Know FBNO. And so if you're interested in being a part of the community here, uh, First Baptist, a great way to understand who we are and how we seek to be a biblically thriving church. And as I mentioned, we're reflecting today on uh, Jesus, on how he entered into Jerusalem very intentionally, set his face towards Jerusalem, came in on a donkey with the intention that later in the week he would go to the cross, our king on the cross, uh, who would die, be buried, and resurrected again. So that's what we reflect on today. As we do that, I want to open up to a passage of scripture that was uh, referenced by the people that welcomed him into the city. This is Psalm 118, starting in verse 25. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. Bind the festival sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. The goodness and the faithfulness of God was seen in Christ as he went to the cross for our sake. So we want to reflect on that as we continue to worship 
in prayer. And specifically this morning, we're going to pray for other bodies of believers, uh, for other churches and the work that's going on here in our city. So I'm going to invite Jack Hunter up uh, to join me as we pray for the New Orleans Baptist Association. This is an association that we're a part of, uh, of multiple churches in our area that cooperate together, link arms to bring the gospel to our city. And so, Jack, we're coming on Holy Week, and we think about what Christ has done for us. Can you tell us about some of the things that, that NOBA does, specifically like Compassion Ministries, and how that works out in our city? Yes, thank you. Uh, what a week, Holy Week. Um, during that week, in the upper room, Jesus gives his disciples some precious instruction. He tells them that he washes their feet and tells them that we are to serve others as he was serving us. And he tells us, he gives us a new commandment uh, there in the upper room uh, that we're to love one another as he loves us. That's how we're to love each other. So service and love are really the motivation of Compassion Ministries. Uh, it's the way the world understands the gospel. Uh, Jesus tells us that we're the light of the world and that we're, our light is to shine in the world so that people can see our good works and glorify God. It's the way the world understands the gospel and it's the way the world brings glory to God. So we, we work with others in our compassion ministries. We don't, we don't start works and lord it over people. We work with others. Uh, we work with Baptist Community Ministries here in the city, with Baptist Community Health Services, with Crossroads. Uh, we work with the Vukare Initiative, with Thrive, with Fuel the Future. Uh, all these ministries, uh, we work with uh, just a whole range of ministries in our city. I will, I, one thing we've learned, uh, the church is at the center of our work, but it takes lawyers uh, if we're going to build the kingdom. If the world's going to see our light, it's going to take lawyers and plumbers. It's going to take doctors and carpenters. It's going to take teachers. It's going to take nurses. Uh, it's going to take us all if we're going to build the kingdom in a way that the world will really see our good works and glorify the Father who's in heaven. It's important that we be in the world. It's important that we be in the middle of brokenness and deep need. So how can we be present? We're present together, uh, ministering to needs uh, in our city. So that's really what's behind the compassion ministries of, of your churches. When you say no, but it's really the churches. This church is a leader in our association in so many ways. I mean, even the ministries that I've mentioned, they're so connected with members of this congregation. Uh, but we partner with the seminary, uh, we partner with all these other ministries. We partner with other Baptist entities. We partner with other entities in the city. Uh, and so that's, that's really what's behind our work, is that we really want Christ to be glorified. Uh, we want to meet needs in the name and in the love of Christ. And, you know, before Christ ascended, after he was resurrected, he gave one more commission to us to tell. And so as we go, as we serve, we are telling the story of Jesus. And so that's always been very, very important to us. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm grateful for the work of, of our association, really coming from uh, another state. There's something really special going on in this city with the way churches partner together to meet very tangible needs uh, in our city. 
Um, and I'm really grateful to be a part of that and to see what's going on. So as we think uh, forward, so the Southern Baptist Convention, a lot of Baptist churches will be here in New Orleans in June. And so the work of the association will actually be on display to see, you know, kind of what's going on. But as we think about that and all that uh, our churches are doing together, what are some ways that we can pray specifically? Yeah, uh, one, one way in particular, many of you know Kay Bennett. She's a hero of mine in the faith. Uh, served at Baptist Friendship House for decades before that. She served at the Brantley, which was our homeless center uh, right off of Canal Street, where she lived in a little hovel of an apartment for many years. Friday was her last day. So let's pray for Kay as she transitions. We hope to keep Kay connected to the work, uh, but uh, she's going to be stepping down as the director of that, of that uh, very important mission center. We're looking for a new director. Uh, so if you know of someone who you think would be able to serve well, the, a homeless population, a needy population, a population that's very much in transition, uh, pray, pray for that need as well. Also, we're beginning a, a new initiative in the area of early childhood education. You know, the data is overwhelming that if a child isn't ready to learn by the time they start school, they'll never close the gap between themselves and those who are ready to learn. They'll progress, but the gap will never close. So if we really wanna change the trajectory of lives, early childhood education, foster care, all these other ways that engage children at these very vulnerable and important ages is important. So pray for us in that area too. We believe, we believe early childhood education is important. We believe Christ makes it better. And we're trying to start works through our churches in the area of early childhood education as well. So those are two specific areas that you can be praying for us. That's great. Well, church, would you join me in prayer as we pray for our churches? Father, we love you. And God, we thank you this morning for what we get to celebrate today in Palm Sunday. We serve a king who did not come into the city of Jerusalem uh, to sit on a throne, Lord, but to hang on a cross. And so, Father, we thank you for the forgiveness and the life that we have in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for calling us, Lord, into a kind of ministry that looks like the ministry of Jesus, that goes and meets needs, Lord, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. So, Father, we thank you for the work of the New Orleans Baptist Association. Thank you for the chance that we have, Lord, as First Baptist New Orleans to link arms with like-minded brothers and sisters to meet needs here in New Orleans and proclaim the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would bless Jack and his leadership, uh, the association. We thank you for Kay Bennett, Father, and her years of ministry at Baptist Friendship House. Lord, go with her and be with that ministry, Lord. May it be uh, just a continual light in our city. We thank you for other ministries like Baptist Community Health Services, um, Baptist Community Ministries, all other uh, things, Lord, that are going on. Lord, I pray that you would use us, Lord, uh, for your glory, God, that you would give direction uh, to how we are to meet needs in New Orleans so that people would come to faith. God, we thank you for working uh, in that way, Father, that you use people like us uh, to bring the message of the kingdom to, uh, to a hurting city. So, Father, help us to do that. Be with our churches this morning in Jesus' name. Stand together again. Let's sing this song together. Who else would rocks cry out to worship? Whose glory taught the stars to shine? 
See you.
Father, we do praise you today for who you are. And Lord, in, in light of who you are, we just acknowledge that we're going to encounter and face tribulations and trials and things that happen in our life that are the result of sin ultimately. But Father, we get to uh, choose to look at you and keep our focus and our eyes set on you to know that uh, you have goodness in mind for those who have placed their faith in Christ, who have hope. So God, I pray that no matter what storm, whatever situation those in this room today are facing, that we would be able to fix our eyes on you today and see you as good holy, as righteous, worthy of pursuing, worthy of enduring, worthy of seeing our faith be made strong today. So God, use your word, use our pastor chat today to bring a word from your, your gospel that would strengthen, encourage, and convict us. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you be seated. I want to invite you to turn in God's word to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. So we're going to be spending our time as we continue in this sermon series. I'm calling Why the Cross? Um, my hope is that this morning it will prepare us more um, for the coming celebration that will be ours next weekend. I want to encourage you, invite someone. Um, invite a friend, invite a coworker, invite a neighbor. I'm a family member to, to come with you next week to celebrate. We have a Good Friday service that's going on that will be at 6.30 on Friday evening. That'll be a time where we're going to take the Lord's Supper. We usually do the Lord's Supper the first Sunday of each month, um, but we're going to be doing that together as a church family on on Friday night. And then on Saturday, we have what we're calling an egg blast. I'm so thankful for Nicole Bandy and for um, the event that she's put together that is going to be so great for you to invite your friends and family and neighbors to um, to come. And the way it's going to be done is going to be a little different than some of the things we've done in the past. It's more of a come and go kind of, you know, um, you know, scheduling of it. And so you'll be able to have this window of time that you can make it up here and uh, kids be able to participate. There's going to be multiple egg huts rather than just one big one and that way we'll do it in kind of waves and in each, with each one of those there's gonna be the opportunity for kids and families to hear the gospel and then on Sunday morning uh, we're gonna be having a wonderful celebration at 9 30 a.m. our normal time uh, to be able to gather together I'm so thankful uh, to you. Uh, you gave our family the, the gift of a week away last week in the sense of just allowing vacation time and the normal cadence of things. And so we had the chance to go up uh, to Branson, Missouri. I'm so thankful for our, the ministry that goes on um, even while the pastor is away. I'm so thankful for Bo Rice and him bringing God's word last week from Isaiah 53. So for, thankful for the work of God's spirit, um, um, the salvation that we got to see last week and, and the follow-up discipleship that'll be taking place and so just all of those things. And I'm thankful too. Um, I was so grateful when I learned that two of our members had had to go to the hospital for various things that one of our deacons, Adam Harwood, um, sprung into action and went straight to the, to the hospital to go visit and to care for them. And I just want you to know like what a healthy ministry, you know, of love to one another you are conducting. Um, you're, you're exemplar in your love for one another and how you care for one another. And uh, the spirit of God is at work in this place. 
Um, while we were gone, we had one of these moments um, that I want to kind of set up this morning with. And um, one of the things we did while we were there, so we were in Branson, Missouri. So there's lots of shows and all that kind of stuff. We did the Silver Dollar City one day, um, first time doing roller coasters with the kids and everything. It was a blast. Uh, but then another one of the days, we drove down to a part of Arkansas uh, that's called Horseshoe Canyon. And my brother-in-law and his wife that, that we got to spend some time with during this time, they love to rock climb. And, um, and so they had brought all the gear to do legit rock climbing like harnesses and ropes and all the kind of stuff. And so we really haven't done much of that uh, as the Gilberts. In fact, my kids, I don't think they'd ever done that outside of like the indoor, you know, self-repelling kind of, you know, rock wall stuff. So this was like the real deal. You know, we're just out there and there's just these rock walls, you know, whatever. And so there's great clarity when he's like, all right, so what you're going to do is you're just going to climb that and then you're just going to lean back and I'm just going to lower you back down. Simple enough, right? A lot of clarity, okay? So you, you, my, my job, I just climb the, the rock and then he just lowers me back down. Great confusion, however, commences when you are starting to climb the rock and you're realizing like, oh man, like I sure hope this rope works, you know? And, and you start to climb and, and holds are a lot harder than you thought and muscles start to fatigue because you're not using your legs, you're using your arms like you're not supposed to be and you're leaning, you know, like you're trying to hold yourself in rather than just letting your arms be straight and all these kind of things. And then the real test comes when you get to the top and it's like, okay, now just lean back. I've got you. Great confusion in that moment where you're 40 feet off the ground. And even though when you were on the ground, it didn't look so bad, up there, way different. And you're just supposed to lean fully back and just hold on to the rope and start walking yourself down this wall, trusting that somebody else has got you and that all of this gear and all this stuff is all working together. Great clarity at the beginning. Climb the wall, I've lowered you back down. Great confusion in the actual event of climbing the wall and then trusting that everything will work out and being lowered down and trying to get your footing in that way. Matthew 16 represents a chapter of incredible clarity and incredible confusion. And it becomes for us a paradigm for why this Christian life is at times so clear and so confusing. I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word for Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to begin back in verse 13 and read down through the end of the chapter so you can get the full context of how God is speaking to us through his word today to catch the great clarity of a confession and then the great confusion about what this confession means. Beginning in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave his disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Or what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he has done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that today through the preaching of your word that we would better understand the cross we would understand discipleship and what it means to follow Jesus. Please, by the power of your spirit, would you move, would you speak, and do it all in such a way that only you receive the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Clarity and confusion. You see it from the same guy. I love this. This one follower of Jesus Christ, Peter, Simon Peter, the, the apostle Peter, saying, perfectly, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirming, not denying that he was the Messiah, saying, truly my father has revealed this to you. Flesh and blood didn't make this known to you. And then he begins to affirm to to Peter that upon this rock, upon this belief, this statement, this reality of Jesus as the Messiah, he's the king, the church will be established and built And then in the very next passage, we turn and we see Peter, the very one that got it right when Jesus says, I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and then be raised on the third day, says, never. May this never happen to you, Lord. Clarity and confusion. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of my life. There's there's moments that really confuse me about how I can be so clear about some things. Some things in God's word are just so clear, and I know that he is faithful. I know that he is good. I'm able to, to, to really latch on to all of these realities that his word makes clear, but then there can be just another moment, seemingly just a verse apart, where I enter into just absolute chaos of my own faith, of struggling against doubt, of forgetting the very things that I know to be true and that are realities that I can build my life on, even the reality of his goodness, even the reality of his faithfulness, even the reality of his perfect control over all things, clarity and confusion. So what's clear in this passage? Let's just go ahead and make clear the things that are clear in the text so that we can just all proceed then into the confusion together at least with the, the firm ground of what is clear. So what is clear? That Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
When you see it in verse 16, Peter, Simon answering, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is it. This is the truth. There's lots of confusion about who Jesus is. Some say Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah or one of the prophets. I mean, there's lots of speculation about who he is. Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ding, ding, ding. Correct. That is correct. And so we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that was not only what somebody thought about Jesus, but that's what Jesus said is true of himself. In a world where people will tell you that religion is just our opinion about God, that everybody's just kind of making up stuff and sure there's big clusters of like world religions, Christianity or Judaism or Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism and these big, big buckets and then just lots of other things where we mix them all together. It's all just us grasping at God and who he is. This is a moment where God God with us, Jesus, Emmanuel, speaks with clarity that that is correct. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. This isn't even Jesus just saying, yep, that's what I think about myself. He says, my Father has made this known to you. This is Trinitarian work in this moment, God speaking and making things known by the power of his Holy Spirit concerning his son. That's important for us to see and to understand that this is a moment of great clarity that we can build our lives upon. Second, Jesus knew exactly what he must do. The cross wasn't an accident. Jesus was not in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was not a fluke. This wasn't something that you know could have gone any number of ways. This was determined from the beginning. And Jesus knew exactly what he must do. And he makes it clear. From then on, verse 21, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary. You could say it, that he must. He, this has to happen. Why the cross? Because it must happen. For him to go to Jerusalem, to suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Jesus wasn't surprised by the resurrection either. He, he wasn't dead for three days and then say, I didn't expect this. He is telling his disciples all along exactly what he must do. That's good for us to know that this road of suffering that this road of being rejected by the established religious order of the day, this, the precise location, the pre precise means, and the precise promise of resurrection was all determined beforehand. This was not accident. This was not chance. God had ordered this. And that's good for you and I to know for what we'll consider in a moment. But then thirdly, What's very clear in this passage is what Jesus expects of his followers. What Jesus expects of his followers. It's given in imperatives, three imperatives that Jesus says that must be true of anyone who wants to follow him. So if you're here today, chances are that 99% of this room is saying, I am a follower of Jesus. There's probably just 1% of this room right now that's checking things out. 
that maybe is here and you say, I don't identify as a Christian. I'm interested. I've been learning more. I was invited by a friend or a family member or something like that. But for 99% of this room right now, you are saying, I am a follower of Jesus. So what we've always got to do as followers of Jesus is to come back and to say, am I really following Jesus? If Jesus is given great clarity to what it means to follow him, then I should always welcome the check this moment of, am I doing my job? If Jesus says, this is what it means to follow me, then this is a moment for us, okay, church family. And for the 1% in this room who are checking it out, I want you to listen attentively of what Jesus says. Because the world will tell you, and maybe even church-going folk will tell you, you know, a bunch of other things. But just listen to Jesus this morning. For all of us, just listen to Jesus and what he says it means to follow him. He says, if anyone, anyone wants to follow after me, and this is not just for a moment, this is not on my way to the 7-Eleven to get a, a big gulp. This is Jesus being very clear, giving their life to me, following like everything of their life being given over to me and being mine, being my disciple, doing what I do, obeying my commands, all of these things. If anyone wants to follow after me, here they are. Number one, let him deny himself. Second, take up his cross. And third, follow me. And this imperative right here, follow me, is a present imperative, which means keep on following me. Follow me and follow me and follow me. Day after day after day. Not a one-time moment, not a one-time decision, Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So these are the things that are clear. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus knew exactly what he must do. And what Jesus expects of his followers is crystal clear in this passage. It's kind of like me being on the ground, putting on the harness, and then being told, just climb the wall, and then I'll lower you back down. Jesus is the rock. You follow him and you trust him. Easy enough, right? Confusion. Here's the confusion. Here's the first question for confusion for me is how followers of Jesus can get the confession right about Jesus but reject what Jesus says. <laughs> That's confusing to me. It's confusing to me about me how I can get the confession right, I say Jesus is Lord. That's my confession. But then how is it possible that I can at times deny what Jesus says, not do what he says, treat what he commands as optional? That's confusing. And that's the confusion that's here in the text. The very same person, I, that's really important, I think, in this passage, it's not just that any one of the disciples, you know, Peter nails the confession and then stands in direct opposition to what Jesus says he must do. That's confusing. Second, the confusion is how salvation comes through death. How salvation comes through death. This doesn't make sense. That's confusing. Jesus is saying, if anybody wants to save his life, Lose it. Anybody that loses his life will save it. 
I mean, this is almost like absurdity. It's confusion. It's confusing that Jesus has just affirmed that the Father in heaven has revealed to Peter the correct understanding of who Jesus is. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then the Messiah, they're, they're all, they've been wondering and, and believing and, 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 and acting in faith, but this was a moment of clarity for the disciples that Peter just said it and Jesus affirmed it. And they're like, this is it. This is it. He is the Messiah. We knew it. We've known it. This is our moment to come in and to, and to kick butt, kick the Romans out of here, to take over for the kingdom to be established. Like, this is it. And Jesus begins to say, what's actually going to happen is we're going to go to Jerusalem. Yeah. And then I'm going to suffer many things from the religious order. The scribes and the Pharisees. And then I'm going to be killed. But then I'm going to be raised on the third day. Salvation comes through death. That's confusing. And then thirdly, what's confusing in this passage is what Jesus expects of his followers. You say, well, Chad, that was on the first list. It was really clear. There were three imperatives. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Real clear. But if you're like me, I'm like, what does all that mean? What does take up my cross mean? Am I literally supposed to do like we've seen some folks do, like get myself a, a big wooden cross and walk around with it? I mean, what does this language mean? What does it mean to deny myself? Deny myself what? Take up my cross. What cross? Follow me, Jesus. I can't see you anymore. It would be so much easier if you were here and, and literally, if you walk out the doors, well, I guess we're moving. And I go, what does it mean to follow you? It's the very statements that are so clear about what it means to follow Jesus that are so confusing for us also. What does it mean to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him? Well, this is where we have to bring these two things back together to allow the context to, to fill in the gaps because Jesus has just told them what must happen to him in order for us to be forgiven of our sins, for, for salvation to come for us. And then he's calling them to do something that seems to, to mirror it, calling us to do something that it mirrors it. And I think we need to allow these things to, to connect, to all fit together in a way that provides clarity for us today. So, what Jesus expects of every follower, every disciple is this, deny himself. Well, what did that mean for Jesus? Notice what he says when he's talking back in verse 21 and 22, as we move into Peter's statement about what it would mean for him. So he's expecting you and I to deny himself. What did Jesus deny himself? Well, first of all, he denied himself location. Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. He knew that it was not going to be this warm reception, even though we see that triumphal entry that we remember today, it was short-lived. It was short-lived. There was not a continuation of all of this excitement. There was great hatred for Jesus in Jerusalem. 
In fact, we see a lot of of Jesus's really good ministry going on in places north of Jerusalem, up in the the, the region of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee and all of these things. And that's really important for us to know is that Jerusalem for Jesus was a hard place. It was a hard place for him. It would represent to him death. It would represent to him hardness of heart from the established religious order of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees and all these things. This was a hard place. This is where a place where people had had monuments and the temple was built and all of these things that made them feel so religious that their hearts were so hard. And so Jerusalem represents a hard place and Jesus denies himself even the freedom to say, I'm gonna go where I wanna go. I'm gonna go to the place that's easiest for me, where people like me the most, where where I'm warmly received, where people, followership comes easy, thousands were following him around. I mean, think about the, the miracles of the feedings, thousands of people are following him. In Jerusalem, there's seemingly thousands opposed to him. So he knows though, I've got to deny myself and go to Jerusalem. For you and I, we have to contend with the same thing. That part of what it means when you said yes to following Jesus is you gave up preference of location. Every one of us, we all said, it's no longer God, my life to spend, but yours. And so, The prayer then becomes, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go and I'll stay where you want me to stay. And some of us, we need to rekindle that because if you're like me, I mean, in New Orleans, it's become home. Then sometimes it can be a really foreign thought about leaving, about going anywhere else. And then for others, the thought of staying in New Orleans is like, whoo, I don't know about that. But if he says stay, then you need to stay. That's part of what it means for us to deny ourselves is that location. It's now yours, God. I go where you want me to go. I'll stay where you want me to stay. Regardless of heart, regardless of rejection or ease, all of those things, they're now off the table. So what you're not hearing from me is shame that if you leave New Orleans that you're a traitor. Let me just be real clear. You're not a sellout if the Lord's leading you to leave the city. But it would be an act of disobedience for you as a disciple of Jesus Christ that if the Lord's not leading you to go and you go, the very dangerous spot. Hardest time in my life as a kid was when we moved from Albany, Georgia to Dothan, Alabama. The bank that my dad had been working for was bought up by another bank. He had been a vice president. And so now he was looking for a new job. What dad told me years later, because I knew that those years in Dothan were tough. Those were some tough years for the Gilbert family. What I realized, or what I didn't know then, that dad told me later is that it was a time in his life when he made a decision about where we should go. He said, I didn't seek the Lord. He's like, it was amazing to me how God with great clarity led us from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Albany, Georgia. He was like, the man I worked for there was an incredible man who just, you know, really built me up in my career, taught me so much. It was just an incredible experience. He's like, but then rather than looking to the Lord, I just started looking to opportunities and I jumped at one. 
and it ended up being the worst work experience of his life. Our family went into incredible financial difficulty. It began a season of a lot of shame in my own life as we began to lose things like a telephone line, as electricity was cut off, as we began to have to do in-town moves because we fell behind on rent and then had to change locations. I've tasted of what poverty is like, what it's like to live in that shame and to try to keep appearances when you show up at church, but things back home are really, really hard. That's the risk when we as followers of Jesus Christ begin just to make the call. I'll go where I wanna go or I'll stay where I wanna stay. Follower of Jesus Christ denies himself. Jesus also denied himself comfort. He said, I will suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes. You know, it takes a difficult, it's a difficult thing to say to the Lord, I will suffer what you want me to suffer. I will suffer what you want me to suffer. But Jesus is making clear in the very call to deny yourself, he is showing his disciples, he is showing us through the crucifixion what it means to deny yourself, your own location, your preference in that, and also the comforts of this life. It's not going to be easy. Following Jesus is not going to be easy. I need that reminder, you need that reminder. We need to understand that it's not easy, but it is good. There is great joy even in the suffering because he is with us. Deny himself. Secondly, what Jesus expects of every follower, every disciple is to take up his cross. The way that Jesus says it back in verse 21 is this, be killed. You say, well, Chad, well, he doesn't say a cross at that point. Yeah, but Jesus keeps talking about the importance of his disciples taking up their cross. There were other means, especially in Judaism, of being killed. In fact, the cross really isn't prescribed as much as described. What is prescribed as a means of death is stoning. So if we were to expect anything of of a death from religious leaders in Jesus' day, it was that Jesus would be stoned, not crucified. But yet he keeps telling his followers, take up your cross Take up your cross. He said it back in chapter 10. He says it here in chapter 16. He says it in other gospel accounts. Take up your cross and follow me. It seems that Jesus knew all along the cross is what awaited him, that that was the means by which he would die. And so because of that, he's calling us to take up our cross and follow him. Well, what does that mean? We don't use crucifixion as a means of death any longer. So what did it mean then when when Jesus is saying, take up your cross and follow me? It's important for us to understand what the cross represented as a form of punishment. You see, the cross was the staunchest, greatest means of public humiliation and condemnation. This was the worst way you could be punished as a criminal. The humiliation came in this. You were hung on the cross, not clothed, but completely naked. Completely exposed, hung on a cross in a public place along a roadway so that as people are walking by, they look and they see what happens to people that commit crimes. It was meant to be public humiliation. It was meant to to affect people with fear so that they would avoid breaking the law. 
And it was meant to be the harshest form of condemnation that, that people that were leading uprisings against Rome were crucified. People that had murdered Roman citizens were crucified. People that were doing things that were in opposition, stealing money, leading coups, murder, all of those things, they were crucified. And so Jesus was hung there with a inscription across his head, King of the Jews, King of the Jews. Humiliation and condemnation. In our world today, sometimes just simply saying, I am a Christian, can result in great humiliation and condemnation from others. That's a form, a much lesser form of carrying your cross. Humiliation and condemnation. Here in New Orleans, almost none of us are at risk because of our commitment to Jesus Christ of losing our life. And we thank God for that. But there are many of you in this room that because of a commitment to Jesus Christ, you could lose your job. That if you talk a little too much about that, or if you take a stand on, on, on any number of issues, that that could be the line at which you lose your job. And in that way, you are taking up your cross, that, that moment of humiliation and condemnation for the sake of Jesus. Notice what he says. He doesn't say like, well, just any hardship that you go through. He says, for whoever wants to lose his, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life because of me will find it because of me. I mean, you can lose your job for not doing your job. That's not the same thing as, boy, I've been being persecuted because I'm a Christian. If you don't show up, if you don't do good work, you may lose your job and you probably should. That, that's different than this of just being who you are in Christ and then saying, you don't fit here anymore. You're not fit to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or a construction worker or a physical therapist. Take up his cross and then finally follow Jesus. You see, if you follow him into death, then and only then will you lay hold of that which is really called life. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. That present imperative that I mentioned earlier, that means that it means right now, keep doing it. It's not a participle meaning like I-N-G, but it's an imperative. I want you to follow me, follow me and follow me and follow me to never stop, to keep going day after day after day. But as was true that day, so is it true today that some of us continue to say in the face of such a radical expectation of Jesus that we will deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, that out of our mouths comes something like this, oh no, Lord, this will never happen. Oh no, Lord, this will never happen. And to us, Jesus still speaks by his living word saying, 
get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. Those words should fall on us a little heavy today. That we, as those who have gotten the confession right, can be like Peter in this moment of a call to deny himself, take up his cross and follow Jesus, to stand in opposition to what it means to follow Jesus. That we can so resist it that we actually begin to inflict that resistance on one another. You see, how many of us as brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the same church, First Baptist New Orleans, rightly deserve this rebuke? How many times have we, by either outright opposition or inadvertent distraction, pulled a brother or sister away from denying themselves, from taking up their cross and following Jesus no matter the path? Nick Ripken, the alias by which a missionary of the International Mission Board wrote a book called The Insanity of God, communicated that the greatest opposition that he ever received from doing the gospel work that he was called to do in Somalia, in a difficult place, a place where people were dying for their faith, where where people were being bombed and, and kidnapped and all of these things, the greatest opposition was not from the opposition, but from the offense, from the people of God, telling him that it was negligent of him to bring his family and to do that kind of work in that kind of place. It was the people of God, well-meaning Christians, who told him that he ought to throw in the towel and to quit the very work that God was calling him to. How many of us have stood in opposition to the very pursuit of following Jesus in one another's life by saying, don't deny yourself. No, 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 don't take up a cross. No, 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 don't follow him there. And we do it with a smile on our face. We do it with seemingly good intentions. How many of us as parents deserve this rebuke? How many times have we opposed the sacrifice of our own child in following Christ by distracting our children with the trappings of this world rather than encouraging them? encouraging them to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him no matter the path. I mean, how many of us, that's what we want most for our child is for them to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow Jesus wherever he leads them. This is hard. This, This is the hard teachings of Jesus. But this is what we should want as Christian parents for our children and as Christian grandparents for your grandchildren, and as Christian great-grandparents for your great-grandchildren. This is what you should want more than anything because I know what you want. You want them to have life. You want them to flourish. You you want them to, to succeed and be prosperous and all these things. Jesus is saying, and if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life, you want to save the life of your kids. You want them to, you want to save the life of your grandkids and your great-grandchildren, and that is commendable that encourage them to lose their life to Jesus. That brings us back to the confusion. It's confusing how salvation comes through death. 
But that's the way of the cross. That's what it means to follow Jesus. How many of us as spouses deserve this rebuke? How many times have we made it difficult for our spouse to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus no matter the path? As New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg notes, trying to thwart God's plan for Jesus' life is in fact the role of the devil, not a disciple. Hence, Christ replied, Jesus is not accusing Peter of literal demon possession, but he is dramatically indicating that the perspective Peter represents, however unwittingly, is the same as Satan's. Many of us are running Satan's playbook with one another. We're running it at the church, we're running it in the home, we're running it in our marriages, unwittingly. We didn't realize that we were standing in direct opposition of what it would look like to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Can I just tell you, it's gonna look different than the American way of what's best, what's called the, the American dream. It's gonna look different than that because the American dream does not prescribe death. It does not represent denial of self. It's actual, the, pers- the full pursuit of self. Be all that you can be, all, do all that you want to do. But notice what Jesus is saying. If you're gonna follow me, and that's what you should want most, that's what you, when you got the confession right, Jesus is Lord, you were saying, I'm gonna deny myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take up my cross, and I'm gonna follow him. Some of you, if you're being honest today, might actually say, that's not what I signed up for. That is not my understanding of what following Jesus is. Then today I invite you to follow Jesus. I don't know what you've been following, but my concern as a pastor for this church and for the family that God has given me to shepherd is that we will follow Jesus and we will follow him the way that he has said he is to be followed. And the way of Jesus is to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him day after day after day, no matter where that takes you. We pray with me. Father, I pray that through the preaching of your word, you You, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would captivate the hearts of your people. We confess, Lord, that we unwittingly have stood in opposition to your will and your ways. Lord, we have been duped into believing that followership is easy and that it is painless and that no death to self is involved. But thank you for the clarity of Jesus' words to us today. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you speak to every heart in this room that we might, in a very fresh and real way, commit or even recommit our lives to following Jesus. We 
know that the confession is right. Jesus is Lord. We're just praying God is needy followers that we need his lordship. We need his power. We need what only he can do in our lives. If you're here today, just we're still in a moment of prayer. And that's you. You, more than anything else in this world, you need Jesus. And maybe you've been one of those individuals that I spoke of that when you said Jesus was Lord, it meant something else than what Jesus said it means. Then today might be the first day for you of really saying yes to following Jesus and all that that means. That you're giving him everything, that your life is gonna be given over to him where you're now gonna begin a lifestyle of denying yourself taking up your cross, no matter the the humiliation or the condemnation that you receive, and you're gonna follow him. You're gonna follow him. See, the Bible communicates that all who follow him will be saved. Bible communicates that all who follow him become his sheep. And once you become his sheep, that good shepherd will never abandon you. Nothing can get you. You'll always be his. But the Bible also makes clear that following him is something that you are called to do. In other words, you must act. It's an imperative that Jesus is calling you to. So the question is, will you follow him today? I'm gonna invite for everyone to stand in this moment. And if you're here today, is an indication that you want to follow Jesus. I'm gonna ask for you to move, to move out of your seat and to move down to the front of this room so that me as an under shepherd, I'm not the chief shepherd, Jesus is, but he has given to his church under shepherds to care for the flock. And I want the opportunity to pray over you as one who has said yes to following Jesus. For others, you may just need to come during this song and spend time kneeling and repenting. Just saying, Jesus, I have not been following you. I have been pursuing self. I've not been denying myself. I have given up a cross rather than carrying the cross. And I don't follow you because I don't even think about you. Jesus, I repent and I turn back to you today. However you need to respond, I pray that you will in this moment and to do so in such a way that only he receives the glory. Right.
just sing those words, but may they be the true confession of our hearts today, that we confess that you are Lord of all, of every part of our life, and may that be revealed this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Before I invite Stephanie to come up, I want to just mention and thank you. Over the last few days, you have hosted an incredible conference that was here at the church called Mental Health and the Church. And it was an incredible time of bringing in practitioners to be able to talk about these important issues related to mental health, but also to the gospel and how there's this coalescence that takes place of the gospel and in the work of counseling and ministry. And um, one of the keynote speakers for that weekend was our very own Christy Gibson. And actually, Christy, if you'll raise your hand right back here, Christy's in the house. And so we are so thankful to have you back, sister. So thankful for you and thankful for the ministry that God is giving you a come alongside ministry and in the work that God is doing through you. Um, incredible, incredible uh, opportunity yesterday. So thank you very much for using your story for his glory. I'm going to invite our director of, of ministry to women, Miss Stephanie Lyon, to come up and to close with a few announcements. Good morning, everybody. Um, when we do these announcements, it's to only to serve you and help you. So if it 
if it helps you to pull out your phone sometimes and put these things on the calendar, feel free to do that. We do want to remind you, Chad did a great job of just helping us understand the things that are before us this week, opportunities to worship with our Good Friday service this Friday night at 6.30. And then again on Saturday, if you have kids or you want to invite neighborhood friends or family members to come back, it's a drop-in between 9 and 12 for our egg blast. And um, there's some really um, also very meaningful things that the kids will be doing that they'll be able to take home with them. So all you have to do is just register to let us know that you're coming. Um, then we also, you've probably seen out there the fake crawfish from the crawfish boil, just to let everyone know, we know it's the season, we're excited, and we get to have a crawfish boil together on April 15th. It's $5 per person, which is a great deal, right? Um, more than you can even eat. And so all you have to do is just register also online for that. There's also a QR code on the table back there. And we just ask that you also bring a dessert so that we can finish really sweet. The last thing that we wanted to tell you is you'll start seeing, we're gonna have um, an FBNO Women's Spring Share and Serve event. You'll hear more about it in the coming days, but start looking also um, in the newsletter about that because we're gonna get to partner and serve seven of our different ministry partners, many that um, Jack was speaking about this morning. So we're really excited about that. We hope that you'll join us. So Erisi, will you come pray for us this morning? and send us out of here. Amen. God is so good, and it's so important to love God. And if we love God this week, it's important that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Let's bow our head for just a moment. God, we thank you so much for being an awesome God. And so right now, God bless us this day to put ourselves on the side, to take up our cross, and to follow you on our jobs, in our homes, in our church, and to follow wherever you walk to follow your steps. We thank you right now. Bless us and keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and thank God.